Welcome to Picked Voices, the interview series conducted by the faculty of the Paris Institute for Critical Thinking with notable members of the broader PIC community. Our goal is to present our community with a variety of voices across the spectrum of the humanities and critical creative thinking. My name is Christoph van Houten, and today it is my pleasure and honor to be joined by Wolfgang Strick, former director of the Max Planck Institute for the Study of Societies at Cologne and Emeritus Professor of Sociology at the Faculty of Economics and Social Science of the University of Köln. Hello, Wolfgang, and welcome. Yeah, I'm very much um, pleased to be here. Uh, it's lovely you could join me. Now, since we started with Voices here, we have had the pleasure of talking with a variety of scholars. The fact that we, or better I, hadn't thought about confronting the topic of economics dawned on me as a shock. And so I'm very pleased that we will finally deal with this topic. And I'm even more happy that it is with you that I will do this. However, before I start with my questions, I think it is necessary that I state that I am no economist. But I don't think this necessarily limits our conversation. Anyway, no, let us no, begin. I'm, I'm, I'm not an economist either. Okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I think that economics is too important to be left uh, to economists. I, I could not agree more with you. So let us begin. And let me begin with the pandemic that, alas, has still not left us in peace. Now, in his famous book, Crisis Economy, the American economist Nouriel Roubini, who became famous for having predicted the economic crash of 2008, claimed that economic crises are like pandemics. They begin in one place and then start to spread out, radiating outwards and infecting everything else. Do you think this is a good analogy or not? And if I may immediately add, can we revert this affirmation as well and claim that a pandemic also brings along necessarily an economic crisis? Well, let me say that uh, I haven't seen too many pandemics in my life. So so uh, uh, I, I, I don't know much about them. But uh, to me, uh, crises uh, in the economy are not necessarily uh, horizontal, but very often a vertical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. They are started somewhere at the top where uh, someone makes a decision that uh, is detrimental to a lot of people at the same time, and that uh, begins to spread and makes a, uh, and, and, and results in a crisis. I would say that what is more uh, similar uh, to a pandemic is capitalism itself. Mm. Uh, capitalism is an economic uh, or a mode of production that tends to spread horizontally because it needs to expand. It is mm. uh, uh, condemned uh, to grow mm -hmm. because what it is about is uh, the uh, production mm. of uh, uh, capital in private property that is capable of generating more capital in private mm -hmm. property. It's a dynamic system that needs to grow. And this growth is very often sort of spreading outwards uh, from a center, like take, uh, uh, take um, uh, the, the it northern Italy, uh, then uh, Flanders, uh, then uh, uh, England, the United States, uh, all these sort of centers of a new version of capitalism that uh, uh, leads to a spreading of this uh, economic system uh, ultimately around the entire world. Mm. So, but, but 
wouldn't that also be like a, like a, a form of imperialism? Capitalism has always gone with imperialism. See, the 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 crucial thing I think is that um, capitalism is not something that is eagerly awaited by people on the periphery of the capitalist core, wh wherever it is. You have to impose it. Uh, in Ma Marx's analysis of, of, of primitive accumulation in the first uh, volume of Capital, uh, mm -hmm. points out the, the core, the sort of violent core of capitalism as a force that mm -hmm. must destroy traditional ways of life in mm -hmm. order to uh, accomplish something that in a more sort of simplified way, simplifying the first three chapters of, of the volume, Uh, of, of, of volume one, is probably described like this. Uh, normally, you find people who minimize effort in order to reproduce a given, traditionally given way of life and level of uh, satisfaction. Whereas, in, if you go to capitalism, you have to turn this around and teach them to be output maximizers rather than input minimizers so that their, their horizon of satisfaction uh, per permanently moves forward and they have to run in order to keep up with it. That's capitalism. And, and, and this conversion is not easy to accomplish. As you see where today, where, what, what people call the, the third world, or used to call the third world, uh, people do not really, at first glance, understand why they should, uh, why they should sort of work like uh, uh, whatever uh, in, in, in order uh, to, uh, to get things that they even don't know about yet. Okay, so to turn to to the beginning of the question if if rubini says that a, an economic crisis is like a pandemic you you would disagree with him here i i would say uh, it is more appropriate to say that uh, capitalism is like a pandemic and and then uh, in in addition you can say uh, capitalism is always and has always been a system with uh, a critical periods mm. uh, the the idea that you can have a stable uh, uh, capitalism, everybody satisfied with capitalism. That idea is an ideology, a, a utopia invented by neoliberal ideologists. Mm. In, in fact, in fact, uh, uh, like Schumpeter describes uh, capitalism as a system of creative destruction. That is ongoing, ongoing modernization, you can also say, mm -hmm. which always upsets uh, uh, social life and does this in a way which uh, is not necessarily balanced. There are resistance. There's resistance to it. There's contradictions within the system uh, exploding in crisis that then have to be uh, have to be uh, uh, sort of provisionally fixed. Uh, capitalism is a system of provisional fixes of permanent uh, successive crises. Yeah, uh, thanks for this. We, we will come back to many of the aspects that you have just sure. mentioned already. Um, now, if thinking about the possible or thinking further about this possible connection between something as a pandemic and then not just economic crisis, but yeah. capitalism as a whole system, and especially this in combination with 
the recent returning theory of COVID of the pandemic having escaped from a lab. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about the very troublesome so-called shock doctrine, as Naomi Klein uh, called the economic theory elaborated by the American economist Milton Friedman and his yeah. Austrian British mentor Friedrich von Hayek. Um, this doctrine uh, claims that uh, only crisis can cause change. And so one only has to cause a crisis, be it real or a merely perceived one, for change to happen. Now, considering that the World Economic Forum entitled its 2020 mid-pandemic meeting as the Great Reset, uh, should we be uh, worried and maybe even extremely worried by the closeness of this dream of Van Hayek and Friedman? And is the nauseating smell that we are starting to wreak uh, that of an authoritarian regime? Or am I being too negative here? Ah, negative or not. Uh, I, I think you're too optimistic with respect to the capacity of, of elites to, uh, to make plans and, and execute those somewhere in the background of what we see. In other words, you overestimate the strategic capacity of, okay. uh, of, of elites. The, the, the normal way in which, uh, uh, or the way in which crises um, happen is that they happen on their own. The mm. capitalism is uh, sort of beset with, a, uh, as I said, critical dynamic. You don't need uh, the, uh, uh, the what's the name of the of the guy who wrote this book on on the Great Reset. Uh, you 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 don't need this guy to to have mm. a crisis. Then let me let me put it. But but there is a very interesting angle in 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 what you said. And if you allow me, I I would uh, spend two or three minutes on sure the. Uh, um, there's two two ways in which one can describe the uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the the self-driven, uh, potentially self-destructive, and then uh, urgently in need of a stabilization dynamic uh, of capitalism. In this particular case, uh, modern capitalism has conquered the world and and penetrated into the most outlying biotopes uh, mm -hmm. that, that have been for, for millions of years uh, untouched by uh, human, human activity. And in these biotopes, of course, you can find things that are uh, sort of completely against or com completely incompatible uh, with our biological uh, uh, needs and, and uh, co complexion. Mm -hmm. so, so, for example, Hitting into these uh, bat uh, uh, caves in, in mm -hmm. China, uh, the, where where human beings have never been, but but now they are trying to conquer them, exposes you uh, to um, uh, dangers, uh, biological risks that uh, humans have never been prepared for, mm. uh, and uh, and and that that's one way in which this happens. But then quite typically of modern societies, and the, this is expansion, like capitalism expands into, uh, into places where it hasn't been yet, mm -hmm. and, and then uh, meets resistance uh, of nature, of people, and so on. The, the other uh, aspect also related to this is this very strange relationship uh, you mentioned the Wuhan uh, uh, laboratory. Mm -hmm. This very strange relationship between basically American um, research on biosecurity mm -hmm. uh, in response to a perceived threat of biological warfare, mm 
and the kind of research that is being done in the Wuhan laboratory, but also in many other laboratories in the world. Uh, when biological warfare uh, was banned, uh, countries signed an, an international treaty that forbade them uh, to, uh, uh, to do research on uh, um, means of uh, warfare uh, with biological means. But what the treaty allows for is research on how to defend yourself against uh, biological warfare. Now, in order to do that, and this is something that's been discussed in the, in, in the global uh, discussion for a long time, in order to do that, you need uh, some, uh, you, you say, some uh, exp experimental stuff Mm -hmm. uh, on which you can try mm -hmm. whether your defensive means actually work. Mm. Yeah, And it is very interesting uh, that most of the research in the Wuhan laboratory was actually funded by the United States, mm. <laughs> uh, the, in, including the Centers for Disease Control, uh, many of the large uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, and you don't believe, one doesn't believe it, the American military. The American military was sort of in the center of, of mm. all of this, uh, the, which to me, uh, uh, sort of the, the second uh, possibility of how <laughs> capitalism is relate, related to this, not just because of the interests of pharmaceutical companies, but, but the, the state is an integral part of mm. the expansion of capitalism. And also... I. I, I wrote a piece on, on Friedrich Engels a year ago in the Engels year, which, which sort of taught me uh, how important weaponry was for the history of capitalism. No, not just you, 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 make money, you make money of it, but states uh, need to secure the uh, functioning of their economies against external threats and also for external expansion. By developing uh, um, the, uh, the the weaponry that that is necessary for it, uh, let me say one one final thing on this. Uh, one of the most baffling things about this crisis is that um, uh, it was, I think, in October 2019 mm -hmm. that the last of a series of international meetings on how to uh, how to fight um, an external uh, biological warfare uh, aggression took place in the Hotel Pierre in New York and, and <laughs> presided over by very high-ranking American officials uh, with people from all over the Western sphere being invited uh, to, to uh, um, discuss with them what the right response would be and uh, what sort of uh, vaccination one needs, and it was exactly about this kind of this kind of uh, 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 how do you say virus, mm. uh, the, the virus on which they were doing research all over the world, especially in in Wuhan. I think they were seriously afraid of these uh, of these laboratories not being safe enough, mm. and something sort of breaking out of. Mm. So, so they, they, it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling black prophecy. In Absolutely. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Okay. And, and it is to do with this uh, sort of modern capitalist uh, uh, built-in tendency to, mm. 
uh, to cross borders and uh, move forward into the highly risky unknown. Mm. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, the, the, again, this form of imperialism that you yeah. you see have. Okay, yes. Um, that's that's very interesting. Um, if if I may change a little bit the subject now. Sure, sure. There is one thing that it's still within the realm of the baffling, so it's 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 only yeah. changing the, the the context a little bit. There's one thing that that really baffled me in this pandemic, and that for as much as the world and the economy did never come to a complete stop, there were some serious interruptions in the normal proceedings of world economy in the world economy. However, and this is what surprised me, this pandemic did not have or did only have a very limited effect on the economy. True, it made the poorer poor and it principally hurt the minorities and the already weak economic categories. And I will return to this in a later uh, question. But in the Western or more westernized world, I think the pandemic caused surprisingly little economic damage. There was no stock market crashes. There were no economic preachers who were predicting the economic apocalypse, etc., etc. And even what uh, terrorized most countries in the past decades, namely the massive, massive growth of debt, uh, has hardly been raised as a topic of, of problems here. In fact, I was recently even made aware of a theory that states that massive debt creation is no longer considered as toxic. This was recently theorized by another American economist, uh, Stephanie Kelton, and she explains this in her book, The Deficit Myth. Creating a massive debt is, according to Kelton, not wrong per se or by principle. If the intentions are good and trust is there, then massively loaning or even simply printing money is not necessarily detrimental for an economy, she says. Now, wrapping this rather long question up. Is this a mere and not so well hidden attempt to academically create the required trust in the massively indebted nations, a trust that is now required for the whole system not to collapse, or does she have a valid economical point? Uh, both. Um, the, uh, uh, I, I have, uh, when, when I worked on this a couple of years ago, uh, the question was in the air, uh, what is the the ultimate or the highest possible level of indebtedness for a national uh, state uh, beyond which uh, uh, you have a, uh, uh, an unsurmountable problem of economic growth. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so the idea was 80% or 85% or <laughs> of the GDP or something like this. And it was, uh, it was an idea that was uh, uh, put forward by highly... Uh, Nobel Prize uh, worthy uh, uh, American uh, economists. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so now, uh, uh, what, what was behind this? Um, the uh, uh, certainly uh, the fear mm. uh, that uh, uh, over indebtedness on the part of uh, of states would uh, uh, end the. Uh, capacity of um, national economies to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, uh, however, it became clear during the debate that no such level uh, could ever be uh, uh, quantified. Mm-hmm. Uh, what remained was the general idea that uh, states should uh, indebt themselves only uh, up to a level where the confidence 
of the 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 owners of the the, the loan, uh, where where the confidence of capital uh, is still uh, still exists, that they are able to repay their debt at one point. Mm. Uh, if they lose that confidence, they are being punished by increasing taxes. Mm. Uh, in, sorry, sorry in, increasing interest rates. Yeah. Uh, if interest rates increase, it becomes very difficult to service existing debt. Mm. Uh, because debt is only for five years, maybe 10 years, and after, after, that, after these years, you have to repay it and uh, take up new debt in order to be able to pay your creditors. Uh, if that debt, however, requires a much higher level of interest uh, than um, uh, the debt that you now have, then you see an immediate an increase in the fiscal uh, uh, in, the, in the demands on the fiscal um, uh, capacities of, of, of states, and the, 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 the risk is that states will default on their loan. Mm. That is that is the high point. Now, when that happens. It's a, in my view, um, the creditors sort of survey very carefully uh, who they give uh, uh, money to. And if they, for example, uh, give money to the Italian state or partly, partly even the French state, they, they want to know uh, who will, uh, in case, uh, help out uh, if, these, if interest rates increase. Mm. And these countries can no longer uh, repay mm. or, or service their debt. And then you need all you see all these extremely complicated global global uh, uh, provisions mm -hmm. that should reassure capital that uh, 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 the even if the level of debt increases, uh, they run no risk because mm. there are mechanisms by which they can be uh, uh, bailed out. Okay. Is, is that clear? Yes, yes, yes. But then, then I would like to add a, add a question. Yeah. Or, or do you want to finish no, off? No, please? no. But what what I want to say is uh, that that uh, uh, if this uh, is the case, then uh, politics has to play a very important part. For example, a country that was performing uh, uh, very badly economically in the last uh, two decades, Italy. Mm -hmm. Uh, in order to uh, in order to um, earn the confidence both of creditors and of the many countries in Europe that in some way have committed to bailing Italy out if it was uh, if, 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 if it couldn't pay anymore because because that would have a negative impact on their own credit worthiness mm -hmm. so so um, uh, the, the, the Italy then, in those 20 years, made a desperate effort every year to have a primary surplus, that is, have a budget that is in surplus uh, if you disregard the, the repayment of debt, mm. yeah? in order to show that they are a creditworthy credit country. That, that meant that they sort of uh, sized down their healthcare system, their public mm -hmm. administration, their education system, all of these, in order to show that they are credit worthy. Mm. Yeah? And my, my case is that the more debt you have, uh, the more you have to demonstrate to your creditors 
that you are a credit-worthy debtor. And that puts an enormous uh, uh, pressure uh, on politics, uh, mm. which will at some point become uh, more visible when the memory of the crisis, of the pandemic crisis, sort of uh, withdraws in the, in the, or recedes into the back. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I, I would like to continue on this here, because I yeah. think Italy is, is a good example, but I think if one thinks of the third world countries, then the example of, of, of this, this, um, this economist of, who called the, her book The Deficit Myth, yeah. I think it, it's, it itself becomes a myth, because I think even with good intentions, and even if trust is there, I don't think in no way any third world country can start massively printing money without the creditors running and crying out loud. Well, obviously, this is the, and 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 I I haven't read the book, but but the way you reported, I th I think I think I think it is a propaganda uh, thing for for the credit market. No, no, it, it is important to, uh, to to remember. I, I mean, I mean, let me give you an example from my uh, previous research on uh, on uh, labor and industrial relations. When when I asked um, about thirty years ago a manager of a General Motors plant in uh, in the United States how they select new workers, and and he said, well, um, they, they 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 can't be in the union. And I said, I understand that. And, and then he said, they have to have a family because then they behave responsibly. Mm. And I said, I understand that. And then he said, they have to have a mortgage on the house. And, and stupid as I was, I asked him, why should they have a mortgage on the house? And, and he said, uh, if you have a mortgage to pay off, you'd never go on strike. Mm. <laughs> and, and there is this sort of disciplining element. Mm. Yeah? Uh, it also is at work in a in a, in, a, in 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 Great Britain these days. That's also interesting. When they sold the community houses uh, to the to the inhabitants and the Thatcher, so, so that people mm. became owners of the house, taking mm -hmm. out a mortgage and so on. Now you find the phenomenon that people are approaching pension age, mm -hmm. and then they discover uh, that with the pension that they get from the state. They cannot continue to pay off the loan. Okay. As, as a result of which, as a result of which, uh, they uh, 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 continue to work part time in the um, sort of lowest sector of the economy without any social uh, mm. uh, support trade, and so they fill the low wage sector be mm. because they are forced to continue to work. Mm. And, and that is similar uh, to, uh, to, to public debt in the following sense. If you have uh, a high level of public debt, that only means that there are lots of people, creditors, who are waiting to be paid for their having given you this money. Mm -hmm. now, now, that means that a country that wants to repay that debt without uh, people uh, sort of taking a cut in their income, that such a country must increase the participation of its citizens in uh, in uh, uh, paid labor because they they can then tax them, mm -hmm. and that they have to sort of move the pension age forward in or, or backwards, however you want, in in mm -hmm. order to to have a higher a higher participation in the in in the economy, uh, needing needing this because they are indebted. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so in that sense, a uh, high level of debt, not just private, but also public, 
is a is 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 a mechanism by which you by which you um, uh, force people to work for longer in the capitalist production system than they would otherwise do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- I, I don't think it's it's a coincidence that this book was published in 2020 because <laughs> it, it it indeed has a a, a high mythologic mythological and ideological um, aspect to it that uh, I think leaks on, on on at least philosophically speaking, e- economically speaking, it might be absolutely sound, but philosophically speaking, I think there are. Some yeah, although let me let me say uh, nothing can be done forever. True. Uh, the, if, if I look at the at the curve of uh, 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 public indebtedness average by uh, developed countries, then you see at the end of the 70s, it sort of goes up and up and up and up and up and up, regardless of uh, governments, regardless of countries, it always goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 if you see such a curve, you have to ask yourself, uh, can it continue forever? Or is there a point where this becomes a problem rather mm-hmm. than a solution? Yeah. Yeah. And my point about capitalism, since you asked about the the, the buying time book, mm-hmm. my uh, point about capitalism is that capitalism is a is a place where temporary solutions very often turn into temporary problems that <laughs> that wait for another temporary solution. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, and 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 now you're anticipating a little bit my my next question. Sorry, because sorry. no, no, no problem at all. It's good that that these things happen. It means that we're talking about the same thing. Now, it, for as much as as all these economical theories are interesting, the ones that we have discussed, um, I think uh, as a philosopher, not as an economist, I think that they. Um, are not really so convincing but there is one that did catch my eye in my research uh, some years ago and that uh, i think has not has not proven itself wrong just yet and it is your theory of a buying time and that is of not resolving any crisis today but of merely postponing them yeah. as they are uh, bought off and, and uh, For that reason, I'm also really happy that you wanted to talk to me um, here, because I also believe that this pandemic perfectly fits in the whole scheme of your theory. Once again, there is this crisis, but instead of allowing the crisis to come to its own solution, either by deciding or by letting the crisis come to its own natural dissolving self, something different has been done. On the one hand, the crisis has been bought out economically by means of the massive loans. And on the other hand, it was medically bought out by all these types of new vaccines. No crisis, however, has been resolved. It has only been postponed. So anyway, could you maybe say a little bit more about the origin, yeah. the working of this theory of yours, and maybe also address whether my reading of it is even minimally accurate and how worrying it is that I think that your theory is still accurate today? Yeah, uh, let me say that uh, um, it, at the outset, I said something about uh, capitalism as a moving, uh, self, as moving, expanding system uh, condemned to grow mm-hmm. through uh, different stages that uh, are all not, none of which is in balance uh, and, and produces critical situations, transitions. That uh, can be extremely dangerous and risky and 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 costly, and then uh, sort of uh, move on to new. Uh, in, in in other words, every stage of capitalism uh, is indeed a transition stage. 
there is no uh, no peace and quiet in this system. It is mm. a system of creative destruction, as mm. Schumpeter uh, calls it. Now, uh, um, in order to understand the dynamic of this, uh, uh, as a, the, the, understand the, the commonality of these of these crises that are now. No, first of all, I, sorry, I like to say that. Uh, um, the, these crises are not uh, simple, and and they are not uh, uh, less dangerous only because they ended up in a new version of of capitalism. Mm. Uh, the uh, uh, the clash between communism and and capitalism in the 1930s, or uh, capitalism, fascism, and and uh, communism in the 1930s, had something to do with the rise of a global economy in which uh, different countries uh, were looking for different uh, ways of protecting themselves from the dislocations of capitalist growth, uh, uh, essentially coming out of uh, the Anglosphere uh, after the 1920s and 1930s. Now, now that uh, uh, ended in a, a bloody um, war, uh, which uh, uh, then ended in a settlement uh, under American auspices and sort of a very different, very uh, weak uh, uh, peace rivalry uh, settlement with uh, the uh, Soviet Union, uh, and and you and then you move through extremely uh, sort of dangerous moments of transition, like like these various economic crises, the inflation crisis, the debt crisis of the 1980s, the confrontation between. Uh, Communism and, and 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 capitalism with nuclear arms and so on and so on. So we, we live in a highly risky world. That's that's what I want to say. Mm. Now uh, d- d- this is not kids' game uh, uh, d- 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 to 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 see at the transfer to look at the transformation crisis of of, of, of capitalism. Now an- another thing that underlies this. Uh, uh, this um, uh, mechanism in part as it affects. Uh, um, uh, politics and states in particular is what I call the fiscal crisis of, of, of capitalism. And in my book that is coming out now, uh, I have uh, linked this to the, to the pandemic uh, and uh, as, as the most recent experience of that particular kind. What is that crisis? To me, uh, going back to Marx in particular, I think that Marx in one point had, a, had an enormously, enormously, in many other points also, but he had an enormously productive insight, which is that uh, capitalism causes uh, social costs mm. uh, and uh, produces private profit. You can say that over time, the, uh, the costs of capitalism grow mm-hmm. while the uh, willingness and ability and uh, capacity of uh, uh, capital to pay for its own costs declines because capital becomes more and more mobile. Mm. Uh, how do you close the gap between mm. the repair? So, so what are the costs of capital? repair costs? Uh, the, uh, the environment, the cost of uh, 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 educating um, uh, workers to work at a higher skill level, the cost of science. Uh, being produced in order to uh, allow for innovation in in the capitalist uh, system, and so on. All these collective goods that are needed 
to keep that system going become more and more expensive. Mm. Now, now, if you didn't have uh, this sort of huge credit system that you now have, which was, in my view, developed in response to this experience, mm-hmm. if, if you do not have this, then you would have to tax capital to, to pay for its own costs. That, however, would uh, eliminate the possibility uh, of profit-making or reduce the possibility. And then the history of neoliberalism can actually be understood as an attempt to uh, fix this uh, uh, secular problem of modern capitalism, that it, uh, uh, it needs to be paid for, but it won't pay for it itself. Okay. Uh, and, and the way that is done is by... Uh, Uh, building this huge uh, banking system, which didn't exist in the 1970s and early 1980s, started in the United States in, in the mid-1980s, when, mm. when, when they began to deregulate the credit market. Mm. And, and, and at this moment, you had this sort of very strange interplay between public debt, and then public debt caused the suspicion of the creditors, then you deregulated private debt so that people could buy a car without being able to pay for it, mm. and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, and, and now, yeah, uh, I, I would say the, the, the period of financialization of capitalism can be described as, as, as follows. Uh, people have very little money Uh, to pay much, uh, to, 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 to buy much, that you have a lack of demand. Mm. Uh, you have a lot of profits, however, uh, and, and a lot of capital that is sort of hanging in the open and you don't know where to invest it. Mm. Where can you invest it? You can invest it in states. The mm. states uh, absorbing uh, the, uh, the capital that is hanging around because there is no private uh, demand anymore and there's always the possibility of, of market saturation. And, and they use it. Uh, now, then comes the problem, as I, as I said, that uh, interest rates might increase uh, uh, because capitalists are sort of no longer uh, sure that they, they get something back. And at this moment, you begin to see something new, namely the central banks coming in and artificially holding interest rates down, basically in the area of zero, so that people can borrow money, people who, who sort of can borrow money can borrow money, and mm. they can invest it in, not in, in, in things that uh, workers can, can, can buy, but in shopping centers, uh, real estate, uh, uh, all sorts of things, where they, uh, uh, since there's so much money around, experience a permanent increase in the value of their properties. Uh, which is assured or insured by a central bank policy that swears that whenever a crash in what they call financial markets may be possible or may be coming, they will do their best, as, as Draghi said. Uh, uh, believe me, it, it will be enough. And, and at this moment, you, you, you begin to see this very strange capitalism today where you have an enormous inflation in, uh, in property values, making the rich uh, ever richer. You have, the, you have the, 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 the central banks keeping interest rates down in order to ensure uh, that this game can continue. And at the same time, you have workers who are losing out increasingly in relation to the Uh, to, 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 to the rest of society, and they have to buy the toys for their children from, mm. from some sort of Chinese 
producer uh, under the so-called Walmart economy. That's mm. roughly sort of the present situation. And then for for us, for economists, the problem is to find out what are the weak points of this? What mm. prices may become out of this very new configuration of sort of taking uh, taking capitalism alive with, <laughs> you, you say, oxygen inj- injection mm-hmm. uh, from the central banks. Mm. If 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 so, okay, if this is the capitalism of today, then yeah. I would like to immediately attach my last question to that. You already said that today the rich are getting richer and the poor are ever more getting poorer. This looks like a terrible bad idea. Can you answer why we keep doing this? No, this is not a bad idea for those who have money. Okay. It's a bad idea for the others. Okay. And and what is a bad idea in a society has to be sort of weighted uh, with the power of those uh, <laughs> who of, of those who benefit from the idea. It may be a bad idea to you, but it is certainly <laughs> not not a bad idea to Jeff Bezos. True. Yeah? Okay. Then Jeff Bezos and I we certainly differ in opinion here. Yeah, absolutely. And and you are absolutely allowed to do so. Yes. <laughs> and and what I want to add, um, maybe if I if I may, sure. Um, the, the 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 reason that some of them, that some people get richer and and other people get that that is the essence of capitalism. Mm. Don't believe the story that capitalism is an egalitarian system. Capitalism mm. is a system where the Matthews the Matthew principle uh, applies. So mm. Matthew, the um, mm-hmm. uh, who. Uh, who reports Jesus having said to uh, someone, uh, he who has will be given, given, and he who has not will be taken away uh, everything that he has. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and this this actually t- takes us to, to Ivan Illich. We had a talk about Ivan Illich, and, yeah. and I, I spoke about his book with, with uh, one of the uh, authors who wrote about Ivan Illich, and that's the whole idea of of turning something good into something really, really bad. And so yeah. this whole Matthew principle in economics is turning something good into something really, really bad. Yeah, and and uh, if if you translate it into more um, sort of less flowery uh, uh, language, mm-hmm. then then you can say that uh, uh, societies that are not uh, uh, governed by an egalitarian state uh, policy, that such uh, societies are places of status inheritance. Mm. Families are units that try to um, to award their status uh, to their children, and mm. and this is the case everywhere. You, uh, if if you want to be a doctor, the the best thing is to be uh, the son of a doctor or a doctor. Yes. If you want to be a professor. The best thing is to be the son or the daughter of a professor. You, you'll understand. And if you want to be rich, the very best thing is you find a father who is also rich. Yes. Unfortunately, you can't pick where you're born. This is the joke. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Well, thank you so much for this, Wolfgang. It has been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And thanks also to our listeners for having joined us once again here at Picked Voices. 
And you, dear listeners, if you like our volunteer work here at PICT, you can now also consider supporting us by becoming an active member of our institution. For more information about how to join PICT, please visit our website. My name is Christoph van Harte. Goodbye and thank you.